When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 158. I'm opinion brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and I am joined by Frances Tomas. And Frances, we were just talking on the air. Both you and I are a little under the weather this week, and we can't blame that on Barcelona's performances, but it seems like the whole team is under the weather at the moment. It really does. Um, maybe we are contagious from different parts of the world. Um, good to be here again, man. Well, you just finished watching Villarreal. Uh, that's why this... The show's coming out today uh, on Wednesday. And with Villarreal, they won 2-1. And we usually don't do match reviews, but I think Villarreal winning 2-1, getting the three points. And uh, as I tweeted out yesterday, the, the football comes down to goals. And Arturis Galazzo was something really, really special. And Griezmann's header was something special. And everybody's favorite. Uh, I, I always tell my wife this, that there's a list of non-Barca players that everybody really enjoyed, that I enjoy to watch, and that always uh, makes our hearts swoon a little bit. And Santi Cazola is certainly one of those, and his story coming uh, after all his injuries from Arsenal and coming in and at 34 years old, even scoring that Galasso yesterday, which was a fantastic goal as well. It's a fair result, 2-1, sure, uh, but it is a lot like putting makeup on a pig, saying that we should be happy about those three points, because I think there were still just structural issues there. Uh, that we saw exasperated over Granada. So oddly enough, I think we're going to be speaking about Granada and the issues there a lot more in this episode than we are against Villarreal. But having seen Villarreal, Frances, I feel like for me, and I, I'm going to let you give a, a chance to, to weigh in here, that I had a feeling in that match, right? That it was 
it, it felt a certain way. It felt like this is a match surely in the balance, even up 2-1, that things could go wrong, things could change, and they weren't playing well. And then some changes are made. And then you have a front three of Dembele, Fatih, and Griezmann to end the match. And the midfield is De Jong, Arthur, and Busquets. And to me, I felt like even up 2-1, the only way that match was going to end was going to be 3-1 or 4-1 Barcelona. And the Villarreal weren't going to come back. Barcelona were going to score. That's the way I felt even up 2-1. And it felt like it was the same scoreline, but a different match was in the balance. Because to me, it exposed the best front three together at the moment and the best midfield three at the, uh, together at the moment. And it's what worked. And I think that's what Villarreal showcased. But for the rest of the season, Valverde hasn't really done that. And so that's why today's big theme is why Ernesto Valverde can't seem to get things right. Well, that, that's debatable, to be honest. Obviously, Valverde hasn't been amazing. And um, Barca are not playing the football that we all love. Um, I was just yesterday watching... Um, a 10-year-old program about the World Cup and um, it was talking about, it was Xavi and Xavi Alonso actually were the main um, the main people sort of talking throughout the program and it was all about belief, you know, they talk about uh, Luis Aragonés especially and the fact that in 2006 when he took over, it was, the Spanish national team was, was losing and we come from 20, 30, 40 years of um, losing and, and getting anywhere and what Aragonés did for the Spanish national team, it was it got them to believe that they could, that they could be as good as Germany, that they could be as good as, say, Italy, and they could beat teams like Brazil, etc. And in a way, that's what's, what's lacking. You know, after three years of Valverde being there, um, I don't think he's adding any motivation at all. Um, I really do think that he's got a valid point in terms of the, the tactics that he's trying to apply, but that's that's more personal to him than it is to Barca, if you know what I mean. So it's just not the right coach for us um, at the beginning of his tenure we decided to give him a chance hoping that he would trust youth and you know he would bring up the new the new generation even and two years on that didn't seem to happen there were two huge failures at Champions League that you know all of us wake up in the morning and still remember and I don't think we're ever going to forget until the next sort of next winning cycle starts and this season we both said it um, at the end of last season even before the Champions League fiasco really or you know, even definitely following that as well, um, that he just isn't the right motivator for the team. Um, Tactics-wise, he's never really fitted, and he's got players that are above the caliber of game of game in terms of um, development, in terms of distribution, in terms of space finding, in terms of um, swapping of position, in terms of association. The players are better than the system, and that's just not right. Yeah, and that gets to the crux of the Grand Pagunta today, that you and I have, in this podcast, almost everybody that we've spoken to has agreed on the point that Valverde should not have survived that Anfield defeat last year. And now that he has and started the season, we expected him to basically finish the season and win or lose, whether he wins the treble or whether he uh, winds up crashing out in all three competitions that Valverde has done at the conclusion of his third season. That's what we've agreed on. But things have changed, especially with this uh, very cold start with Barcelona trailing in four of their first five games, conceding in every single one of them. Uh, No one in La Liga uh, has conceded more goals in Barcelona, and their away form has been absolutely terrible. Uh, And so that's why the Gran Pregunta today is we're kind of changing the timeline. Will Ernesto Valverde get sacked this season? And uh, we're kind of talking about what that would take. And so I asked for a La Ronda question. We're going to sprinkle that in here because what it will take, I think, is not just 
it comes down to results, but it is about the fact that Barcelona have, in a way, felt like they've lost their identity. Uh, they've lost any continuity. Every match seems to be its own party. There's nothing continued on or consistency from the last match. Uh, so Daniel asked bluntly, what will it take? Uh, and so, Frances, we'll start off with the conversation about previous managers and, and what it took for them to leave. And for me, I think the easiest comparison is Louis van Gaal, who had two different stints at Barcelona. His first stint, this might sound familiar to people, in his first two seasons, he won two La Liga titles and a Copa del Rey. Do you know, can you name any of the managers, Frances, that have done that in their first two seasons at Barcelona? Not too many, to be honest. I'm thinking Ernesto Valverde would be a recent comparison there. But unlike unlike Van Hall, Valverde isn't really detested by the media as much as he is by social media, which is interesting to think, right? That, that Van Hall, in uh, his first stint around at least, he was also to be the successor to, to Johan Cruyff. He was also to bring back all these, uh, you know, the, the, the power of a Dutch manager in charge of Barcelona and all the symbolism that that uh, was supposed to represent. You know, coming in um, from Ajax, having won a Champions League there, but Van Hall was hated by the media, uh, detested again in a time. And you can imagine how much social media would have hated Van Hall uh, if he had the first time at Barcelona. Uh, and so they finished second to Deportivo La Coruña in his third season, and it just doesn't work out. He didn't get along with Rivaldo. He had uh, issues with his players. Uh, but I think the thing with Van Hall is he just had such a different personality than Valverde does, right? Valverde seems to be the player's coach. He's amendable to the veterans, and he's uh, he's very diplomatic with the media. So it just he, he puts on a different face, and a, it's a personality. Unlike Van Hall, or going all the way back to Elena Herrera, where those guys were cult of personality guys, right? They were they were the figures that were taking all the all the praise and all the all the the insults and all the venom for good and bad, right? Just like a Jose Mourinho in the modern era. But for Ernesto Valverde, he has this way of just kind of deflecting everything and staying in this bubble. And I think that just, I think that has extended his time at Barcelona even more, just the personality he has and the way that he's interacting with the outside world. We, we know so very little about what's going on behind the scenes. For sure, but I think there's elements in there that we need to pick out. In terms of um, Valverde's um, ability or decision, more like to actually adapt to what the players want. Um, he's not really doing that in the third season as much. I think he's had two years of that, and definitely in the later stages, he hasn't helped out. Um, I think that this year he's got a better squad in terms of depth. Um, you can argue individual players, um, obviously, may not be as good, but in terms of depth of the squad, I think he's got good tools at his disposal. And I think... As good as um, Ansu Fati is, I think that he's making a point. I think he's trying to ruffle things up. I think he's trying to basically do what he's been criticized for not doing. Um, obviously, he's got the quality and he's definitely ready to to make the jump now. But I think that that is more of a I told you so and more of a warning sort of lights and, and sign for people in that are more established, such as, I don't know, um, definitely Luis Suarez is the obvious choice. But people like Busquets, people like Rakitic, that obviously are not seeing as much playing time as they once upon a time have done. Um, I think Valverde is, is, as you said at the very beginning, um, he's fully aware that this is his last season and he's trying to sh- ruffle things up, he's trying to change things, he's trying to adapt. And he's trying to modify in order to to make things his way. And if he's going to go out, he's going to go out fighting. Obviously, not having Messi it doesn't help. Uh, the fact that he's come in and out of the team and he's basically featured next to no minutes at all, that's not helping him. 
But I really strongly believe that um, everything will become better once Suarez regains his form, once Messi returns to the team. Um, everything will will come better. And, you know, it's still mid-September. I know it's very easy to um, throw all the toys out of the pram and, and get him sort of get him sacked now, but it's not going to happen. Bartomeu has been um, in charge of Barca for enough years for us to know that he's not someone to make rash decisions. And as we spoke about before the summer, if he's going to trust Valverde to be the manager that starts the season, I'm fairly sure he's going to finish it. Um, unless, obviously, we lose 10 consecutive games or something like that, which hopefully won't happen. But that's where we are today. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, and I go I go back to even Van Hull's second time in charge. Six wins, four draws, and eight defeats in the first 18 Liga matches. Uh, so you think about it, eight defeats um, in the in first 18 matches. That pushed him to leave the club in 12th place and three points above the relegation zone in January of 20, 2003. Now, back then in 2003, expectations had actually been lowered at the turn of the, uh, of the new millennium in Barcelona. You know, th- th- that was the, we'll call it the pre-Pep Guardiola era, so it, things are viewed differently then as they are now in terms of winning. So I don't think Valverde would get six wins, four draws, and eight defeats, and Valverde would certainly be out by January. Uh, that's that's what that would take. But, yeah, uh, your, your point persists. I think, for me, the tipping point, though, for Valverde, and it's silly, I but I will remember that Granada match uh, um Quite frequently, I think, just because as I would, as I said on the Patreon, as I, I put on Twitter, that I hadn't seen a match yet where Valverde was, I think, so outmatched tactically. Uh, Diego Martinez for Granada, he seemed to have watched the film that Barcelona didn't because he knew exactly what to do with Barca. He knew that it wasn't even a, it wasn't an intense high press, but they didn't play a low block, so they knew that they were, they were able to neutralize a lot of what Luis Suarez does by not allow, by not playing that low block and giving him uh, plenty of opportunity and utilizing the fact that Luis Suarez, again, he's out of form. His first touch isn't very good. And so Granada almost took that into account to win 50-50 balls in the midfield, which is what they did. Uh, and they just overran Barcelona. And, you know, one shot on target offensively tells you the, mis- the, the issues that, that Barca fundamentally had. And the the thing about the the balance he has in the squad he has that you brought up Francis I was thinking that with five different lineups in six weeks you wonder is it it feels like it's early season rotation and that's probably what it should be but the fact of the matter is that Valverde's squad is still a little bit too big and they didn't sell the players they wanted to maybe that happens in January but in the same regard as Vignesh asked a listener question then if this is rotation, why aren't the center backs being rotated, right? That PK is now on the verge with another yellow of already missing a league match. It's been that quick. He's been that as, as he's been fine, but he's been undisciplined. And Barcelona are conceding again at, at a, an unprecedented rate with what has been their worst league start in 25 years. So all those things do add up, I, I think. And as I said, I think we're at a point in the season where Artur, Easily the man of the match uh, in the last one. Against Dortmund, as I said, I defended Barca and said in a 0-0 draw, Dortmund are one of the top teams in the world, so a draw there was a fair result away from home. That was fine. And the midfield three there, Busquets, De Jong, and Artur, I think are far and away the best midfield trio that Barca has. So I think that it wouldn't be a bad idea for already to stick with that for a few games for Barcelona to almost regain an identity. And unfortunately, yeah, this is, as you said, an identity without Messi, but it's still an identity that I think at the moment is lacking. And Lane brought up, is it just a lack of pace? 
think we gave an excuse for that. But now with Fati and Dembele out there, I don't think it's a lack of pace, but it, it has been a lack of pace at really important spots on the field, including center back and the center forward position. And I think that has really stagnated Barca. They're having trouble pressing defensively. And just, again, offensively, whenever it seems like they're they're out to, ra- out to the races, unless it's coming through the wings, in the middle of the field, they do not break. They they do, there's a there's a lack of an ability to counterattack through the middle of the field uh, that Barcelona now has, and, and I think yeah, the players are still getting used to each other. But that uh, five different lineups in 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 six weeks is not going to help players get accustomed to their roles and what's happening on the team. So I I think Valverde has to make some tough decisions, and uh, if that means Rakitic is sitting in the stands for a, a while, or if that means Luis Suarez has to be put on the bench for a little bit, then you give him another run out when the ship is righted. But clearly there's something, I think, fundamentally incorrect at the moment, and it's not just Messi is not in the lineup. Yeah, of course. Um, also, he's trying up to, what, to work out what his best 11 is. He doesn't know. Basically, um, it's still early in the season, so he hasn't quite worked out which combination works best. I mean, for us, as we said in the pod before, I think it's obvious that Busquets and Rakitic cannot play together. Um, I think that I think it was the second time ever in the last game that Rakitic was actually left out because of tactical decision. Um, I think that probably has to do with the fact that he's trying to be sort of shown the door um, for the next transfer window. But that's maybe just me being a bit too cynical. But absolutely, I think, as you said, Arthur, man of the match, I think that um, the non-inclusion of the young has more to do with rotation than anything. Um, I like the fact that he was trusting Sergio Roberto to bring some La Masia flavor in there. But in the last match, he just wasn't as um, mobile and he wasn't as good in terms of passing. And, and, you know, the whole midfield with Roberto especially looked a tiny bit sloppy Um, up front. You always have the reference of Messi. and, And I know that obviously he's not played consistently, but, you know, not having that reference is making him play around um, everybody else. Um, Carlos Perez was trusted for two, three matches. Now, we didn't really see him that much in the last one and the one before. Or the, I think half, half a match. Um, Ansu Fati has erupted and we still don't know what he's going to do. But <laughs> to be honest, out of everyone, he seems to be the one that actually understands what Barca is the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like his, I like his freshness. I like his um, ability to not just go forward like Dembélé seems to do all the time. And actually, in Spanish, we say, tiene cabeza. He's got a lot of head. He's got a footballing brain that he's using very well. Um, I think him coming up for the last, say, 15, 20 minutes makes sense. Um, as you mentioned in the previous part as well, I think it would make sense for um, Luis Suarez to actually do that. He's lacking a lot of sharpness up front. And uh, because he's missing that step, he's like a, you know, like a second behind normal Luis Suarez, if you want to call it that. And um, Dembélé returning is a positive. But obviously, I think nothing is just had to do with fitness. I think he's made problems in his mental and not sort of mental issues that we talked about before as well. Just about the fact that he doesn't seem to understand when to accelerate, when to stop. Um, he's an athlete, you know, he can beat anyone on a, on a run. But, you know, then again, so can Usain Bolt. We can just sign him instead. So he needs to start learning how to play in Barca. And this is his third season. So um, I know I've mentioned a lot of players just now, but he's just... Valverde is trying to find his best 11 that fits his system, and he just hasn't found it yet. And uh, as you said, it's about time now. Yeah, and I think that's the interesting point that with the, we'll say, the best 11 that Barca have at the moment, what's puzzling to me is the decisions that are made, we'll say, putting players in the doghouse or punishing certain players in certain instances or not. Where Junior Firpo, yeah, sure, good on Valverde for, for pushing him out against 
against Villarreal after he had a, uh, a very, very difficult, and maybe one of the worst 45-minute mm-hmm. debuts that we've seen at Barcelona. But he gets punished in that match with that match in the balance is taken off at halftime. And we've seen in the past, Casalena, he has he's had 45 minutes on the season. And you go back and look at his 45 minutes to start the year in the opening match uh, against Athletic. I mean, was it was it bad enough to be missing all of these next matches if Barca really are rotating in the way that they are and, and Valverde is looking for answers? So my, my question being is that it's 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 almost counterproductive to me. It seems that, that yes, Firpo is back in the lineup against Villarreal, but that could also be the fact that they don't have another left back. That is the only left back, or else you're going to put Semedo on the left, and since Wage is not trusted to even make the mat squad then that means Roberto would have to be at the right-back position, but Valverde wants him in midfield, right? So it seems yeah, like... Yeah, with, with that done, though, I think he, it was the right decision to put Firpo back on. Sure. Absolutely but was. No, but you and I agree. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, is that's that, why I, you signed him, isn't it? That's why you signed him in the first place, to play as a left-back when Alba's not there, which is the situation. So definitely agree with you on that. So that's my point, is that you and I agree on that, and yeah. Valverde did it, but my, I guess the thing I'm asking now is, of all the decisions and things that Valverde is doing, most people... And not obviously, you and I are not football managers, and mo- none of us are listening to the pod. And I hope there's a few uh, managers or high people listening, but uh, most of us are not managers, and so there's a lot of different tactical things that are above our heads. But what I'm saying is, I, I think almost every manager that Barca would hire would have made that same decision, right? It's starting mm-hmm. Firpo when you have no left backs is the right decision. I don't think that there's a counter argument. As I said, like there really is no counter argument uh, to you, there. There was no solution. Right, unless you have Roberto at right back and and Semedo at left back, but again, I think that's more of a risk than having to retrust this left back that did well enough last year at Real Betis. But yet, after 45 minutes, you have all these people online who are already out saying Firpo's a bust, he's a flop at Barcelona, but they're not making the decisions, right? Valverde's not listening to the internet and all that; he's making those decisions. But as I said, it's not just about Valverde's decision. I'm wondering, you know. The fact that every other manager, you know, if it's Pablo Machine in charge, he's still going to make that same decision and go with that. So my point here is that Rakitic got punished. We'll say he was in the stands. So I not say punished, but he winds up looking like a scapegoat after Granada. Right. And the decisions to scapegoat certain players and and not others is interesting to me. The fact that, uh, again, we don't know, but everybody can see Luis Suarez had two very poor matches in a row. We also know that when he finally finds his form, as he seems to do every year, then he winds up banging goals and looking great. But why is it that Luis Suarez is not relegated to a bench role and he has to utilize his 30 minutes at the end of the game properly to get himself back back in form, while a young player is going to be, um, it just it, on the surface, is going to look like a young player is punished and they're not going to be able to play through or find their form at all. I, I, to me, it seems like a contradiction there and a contradiction about the veterans more than it is the youth, right? If Tadebo was put out for PK and has a, a a bad match, well, now we're out on Tadebo and he may not play for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. But PK is allowed to put in uh, a negative performance, and obviously he just got to work through it. He's got to find his form again. So I do think there's almost a double standard to some of the the squad selections. And I mean, the point is it's September, and we talk about it's a long season. So when push comes to shove. Valverde is going to need his entire squad, but the ways he's picking and choosing his squad to me just seems almost puzzling at the moment. And I wonder, with the squad that you mentioned, is a proper one to have? It's a full, deep squad. I mean, would there be someone else in better suited to be making these decisions? I mean, these are all the thinkings of going to why that Valverde might, you know, why he probably shouldn't even make it to January. That's just my thinking here. Yeah, but then again, we are looking at a. Uh... 
sort of parallel reality in which someone else is in charge of the club. Um, if you had maybe Gerard Piquet when one day he becomes president, which I don't think anyone ever doubts that is going to happen one day, uh, then he, he will have a different way to handle things. But with the current situation, and I know if Sandro Rossell was in charge, it would have been the same. Uh, you can go yeah. back to the 1990s, 1980s. Um, Jusso Nunez would have done the same, you yep. know? Um, he trusted Cruyff. I know, I know we always think about Cruyff like this genius and this fantastic sort of um, the father of football at Barca and, and whatever, which is great, and I totally agree. But I don't know if people remember the last two years of Cruyff were absolute rubbish. They were, they were terrible, yep. and uh, he actually ruined the, ruined the team. Um, he was signing people like, I remember, I don't know, Korneyev, Skatch, uh, Meo Kodro, like people that were horrendous, and uh, he ruined the club. And despite all that, Nunez still sort of put up with him for another two years until basically there was all sorts. You know, his, his son was playing in the team. His um, son-in-law was the goalkeeper, um, Angoy, at the time. And uh, yeah, and rumor has it, I don't know if this is true, but this is what um, he's been saying in Barcelona, that um, when Laudrup, you remember he was released and he signed for Madrid, mm-hmm. there was rumor going that um, he had something to do with Croy's daughter at the time and he wasn't happy with that. So there's some all sorts of rumors and stories going around. But what I'm trying to say is that um, managers, as everyone in life really, there's, there's a moment in which you peak and then there's a downfall. And uh, it's about how quick you are at cutting the, your losses really that um, enables you to continue to grow. I mean, um, I'm, I know I'm getting very technical here, but um, in my other life, when I don't do the podcast, um, I manage uh, a team of people, a very large team of people, and there is this thing called the growth, um, the growth line, the line of growth, whatever. Um, so basically, when, when you are on the up, when you are improving things, you need to um, put everything in place so that, that upward trend continues. But unless you make a change, in terms of staffing, in terms of idea, in terms of uh, resourcing even, then you will start to decline. And that's only natural. And um, as we said before, this upward trend um, that should have happened with Valverde just hasn't even taken off that much. And uh, the two fiascos in the Champions League were enough of a warning to release him. Now, is the, is the right time to do it now? I, I probably think it is the right time to sack him. But our reality is that that won't happen. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good point too, as well with uh, with Cruyff. That when when he did leave the club, now he came back to be an advisor, and he's credited with the ideas he had uh, even after he he left as as manager. But his time as manager, right, ended very uh, in a tumultuous way uh, with a conflict mm-hmm. with the board and all those different things. And so uh, that's again about the diplomacy of where Barcelona is at at the moment. Uh, why I think, as I said, I think it's almost a we're making the decision and saying and, and, you know, being vocal now here on the Barcelona podcast, uh, this you know, me in particular, that uh, as much as we know what the reality is, that maybe there could be a, a different way things go. And I think in, in previous seasons, I was, I just, con- I continued to be of the mind that, that Ernesto Valverde had the squad or there were, or the, there were tactical things missing, or as Kevin Williams always said, that there was an, an older squad that didn't really fit exactly what, no matter whether it was Valverde or somebody else, right? I think that's the prevailing notion I want to get across here that in previous seasons I even felt that uh, if, if it was Valverde or somebody else it seemed like the way the squad was built and made up that I don't know what kind of solutions somebody else would have concocted and now this season that's what's different is that I think with the squad he has the ideas 
and a solution that he can concoct, I think somebody else could also concoct that same solution. So I just want to be very transparent that that, I think, is the change between previous seasons and this year and why my confidence in him is, is, has waned. And there are reports that certain players are losing confidence in the manager as well. And I think that's the other big point here, that if he always had the support of his of the board and he always had the support of the players and Messi and everybody else, then he's the guy in charge, right? If I mean, if, if it's everybody else that that's not us sitting on our couch watching the game, if everybody around him in his ecosystem believes in him, then that's enough for him to carry on. But if there comes a moment now where players no longer are, you know, where players and not even disgruntled about their own playing time, but if they're losing their the belief in the vision and the belief of the identity of the team, that creates a much, much larger issue. And then that becomes a point where, uh, now here, I'll tell a personal story uh, in the weeds here. I was an assistant coach for a, a college team, um, not in the sport actually of football or soccer here, a different sport, but I was an assistant coach for this team. And uh, as much as I was an X's and O's guy, and I did a lot of field tactics and things like that, and, but we, uh, we stunk. Frances, we were real bad. We won uh, one game. What's in your fault, Dan? I would say, and as an assistant coach, uh, I will. Uh, uh, how is it? Um, what did uh, what did Van Hal say? I have it here. My answer to that is "Amigos de la prensa, yo me voy, felicidades," <laughs> and that is pretty much what I had to say at the end. Because for me and the head coach, as much as we enjoyed it, we won one game in the playoffs in in four years, and we felt that even though the team didn't fire us, we felt like they needed a new voice that our voice to motivate them and to give, have them give a hundred percent just didn't really work anymore. And so that's why we chose to, to leave. And now Valverde being making all these millions of euros, he's not going to choose to leave. But uh, if he does, if he has lost the confidence of the players and he has lost their ear, that to me is the death sentence. That to me is a thing that says that even though the board doesn't want to, that would be the only pushback, right? I, I think he survives other than cataclysmic results, the only thing, other thing is that if there are players behind the scenes coming to people on the board and saying, we can't have this guy here anymore. Uh, and so my question, not that you can answer, that anybody can answer, but uh, has it gotten that bad? You know, will it get that bad? What would it take for it to get that bad? And then that would definitely be where it would just, uh, at the drop of a hat, would happen. I was thinking about two things while you were talking. The first one is... Um... Back in the 1990s, there was a coach at Madrid. It was Toshak. Um, he was Welsh. And he was successful to a point at Madrid, won a couple of titles. Um, but he had, um, like Van Gaal did actually, he had a really terrible uh, relationship with the press. And um, he used to say um, there was a really terrible defeat. I can't remember where, but um, Madrid lost heavily. And he went on the press the following week, a whole week later. And he said, on the Monday... This always they play on the over the weekend. So on the Monday, I just want to sack everyone. I want to change my eleven players. By Tuesday, you have a look and you think, well, he's the star of the team, and that one over there, yeah, he tried hard, so you got two out of the eleven in it. Then progressively, as the week goes by, he said, by the time the next game comes, you've got the same eleven, insert very rude word in here, that are going to make your team again. So so what I'm trying to say is that. Players of um, experience, what we call vacas sagradas in Barcelona, so like the uh, sacred cows, the, 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 the experienced players, they've got enough uh, weight in terms of fan base support, in terms of um, board support, in terms of uh, these days social media support even. And it's very hard to leave these people out. And what Valverde has done is he's trusted, basically he's kept his job because of the players, right? So 
the players sort of think that he owes them back. So when you're leaving players like Busquets out a lot of the time, you're having Rakitic, who's been a starter for the last three, four years, pretty much continuously out. When you're not giving um, Luis Suarez all the playing time that probably he thinks he deserves, and obviously the results are not going your way, it is natural that the people that have kept you in the job, who are the players that play all the time, but they're not playing now, um, everything sort of turns against you. And I think that's what made the point earlier about Ansu Fati. I think that that is his way of saying, guys, I know I'm on my last legs, but I'm going to play whoever I think is best. And uh, this guy is showing you how to win games and how to basically be hungry enough to to tackle things. Well, I'll ask you, Frances. You have a starting eleven now. Uh, and I, as I've said in the past, I'm more of the mind where, uh, yeah, maybe this is just having watched Pep Guardiola f- both both positively and negatively. I always believe that a starting 11 can be adjusted and chosen not only based on rotations, but should also be uh, chosen based on the personnel that you have at your disposal and the different things that they bring to a squad. And looking at the other opponent's tactics, that can help you deci- uh, make your decision about your starting 11. But I ask you at the moment... What would be your starting eleven? You have to win a match. It's time. We're going to pretend Ernesto Valverde uh, is on the burner and has is on the hot seat, rather. So what is your starting eleven if you're Ernesto Valverde week in and week out to try to get results and try to get himself uh, in a good place? If I have to win the game and other I lose my job, that like that? Yeah, I mean, basically, right? If, if that if that winds up being the thinking. Okay, all right. So then Ter Stegen on goal. It... If my situation is that bad, I would play Sergio Roberto at right back, Lenglet and Piquet in the middle. I would play, I would play Semedo as left back. Uh, I think he's a better defender than Firpo is, so that's that would be that. Um, I would play Busquets as holding at the moment. Um, I would have Arthur and De Jong in the middle, and I would still go for Suarez as a starter, Griezmann on one of the wings, and I would put Dembele on the other one. If, if my job depending on it, if I really want to go attacking and win a game, then up front I've got Griezmann in the middle and I've got Ansu in one side and I've got Dembele in the other one. Yeah, and I think that's a good explainer of whether or not in, in each and every match where I had said previously at the beginning of the season, unfairly, I think, to Granada that there are teams in a Liga that you should be putting certain lineups about. That's where you should be rotating. That's where uh, you get to show you get to showcase those players uh, like a Tadebo. Uh, and I guess in this case, like an Alenya, these are the matches where we believe that Puj might have gotten an opportunity uh, in that same regard. But it seems to me that La Liga, other than Leganes, who've really laid some eggs this season, uh, and Ivar haven't been particularly good, Everybody else in the Liga seems to be able to get a result off of anybody else. And one thing that I do want to end this kind of by saying is that, uh, and I think Sid Lowe has done a really good job of, of making these points, that for two years now, Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid, Madrid Real Madrid in particular, having lost uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, they've been in these transition periods that Barcelona have in the same time been trying to do, but they had Messi to cover up the fact that they were in a transition period, or it feels like one. And Barcelona may have taken a step back, but by still doing a lot of winning in La Liga and still being the dominant team in Spain, they could have still been regressing and receding uh, in in their success on the field, right? And we might just finally be seeing that, not just with the the TV revenue, sharing, uh, helping out other teams lower in the table, but it could just be that every other team is caught up a little bit and now the results are, are being dictated by the by that gap having closed as much as Barcelona still 
in theory, being the dominant team, right? That Barcelona could have regressed and still have been winning, and those two things could have been true in the last two seasons. And now other teams, it's not even a fear factor. It's that other teams now know that they can get a result off Barcelona. If you do your homework like Granada, it's possible. You can get the three points, particularly when you're playing at home and you have Barcelona who are, you know, or are not themselves, uh, or, or surely not Barcelona at all, on the road at the moment. Uh, and, and so I do, again, want to not say that going to Granada means that Barcelona need to get three points or that they uh, they are the better team, so they deserve three points. Like the, You know what I mean? I, I want to almost nullify that sense of entitlement that comes with, with defeating teams that have been promoted. But the fact of the matter is, uh, and this is almost contradictory to what I say in the past, that a credit to other La Liga teams like Granada, who've been one of the top three teams on form in the Liga since they got promoted. They've had, a, again, Diego Martinez has had a great game plan. But when you look at the 11 on the field and Barcelona look at the 11 on the other side of the field, uh, th- there is one group of players that probably on talent alone should be getting a result regardless of where it is. Uh, and so Granada is one of those matches that Barcelona, regardless of Granada's form, uh, needs to just be overtaking and they have the talent to do so. And they have yet to prove that they can't. Right, you get you get a few yeah. to be a champion. You get a few mulligans in the season. You get a few matches where you go, right. You go to Sam Mess and you go, wow, this is a terrible place to play. Athletic Bilbao is back this season. They've got Inaki Williams signed on a on a nine hundred year contract, so he is he's ready to go and banging goals and everything is working. But you cannot say that all these different places. Oh, Granada is a fortress, and Leganes is a fortress, and uh, Ibar is a fortress. Is that, if that makes sense, you get my point. That you know, not every away yeah. away location can be, uh, you know, uh, the the worst place on earth to play. There have to be away matches when you go to a stadium, you get off the plane or the bus, and you go and you take care of business. Of course, but I, I think I mentioned the ball before as well. Like, if you are a smaller team, your Getafe, your Leganes, your Eibar, your Teams like that, Granada, obviously, you want to be peaking in terms of your fitness at the beginning because that was the big, when the big clubs um, are not peaking. Um, obviously, Piqué made a very good point um, after the game yesterday as well. In terms of preseason, and we've mentioned this before as well, it's terrible. The, the, the preseason was more a commercial sort of merry-go-round than an actual let's get ready for the season time, which it should have been. And um, if you're a smaller team, with a lower budget, then what you want to do is just train up as much as you can, get as fit as you can, as quickly as you can, and then ensure that you get the vast majority of your point cushion when the Liga starts. Um, because obviously teams like um, Sevilla, Valencia, Barca, Real Madrid, all of those teams want to be in full form when it comes sort of January, February, March even. But the smaller teams, they have a chance and a window of opportunity now. Um, if you think about um, going out to Granada. If this was um, match, say, 35, you're gonna sh- I'm going to show you it would be um, a-, a very easy Barca win because Barca will be at the peak and Granada will be basically <laughs> counting the chickens that they have collected before the Christmas break. But, you know, that's the situation. And mm-hmm. that's, that's, a good point. that's why I keep saying that's why I keep saying it's it's only September and these, these things happen at the beginning of the season. Obviously, we've been better than this for the last 25 years, so you can obviate the fact that it's, it's worse than it has been, but I am not hugely worried. And I know I'm in the minority here because it's easier to just throw your toys out of the pram and, and, and sort of complain about everything. But I'm not, honestly, I'm not really that worried because I, I know things will get better. I know Suarez will get sharper. I know Messi will come back from injury and Alba and everyone who's in low form now and, and things will get better. 
Yeah, and that's what makes the feeling almost a contradiction to previous seasons as well, because with Barca trying to get to their best by the time they have important Champions League matches, uh, same thing with, what well, I don't know how much stock, again, Kool-Aid's want to put in Copa del Rey. They say don't put any stock in it, but it's the same thing. It's a competition Barca play in, so by the time the Copa del Rey is nearing its end, uh, as been the previous case other than last season against Valencia, the previous half decade, Barca are playing their best in May, so they dominate all the way to the Copa del Rey trophy. Uh, and again, with Champions League, it's you know almost that final match that they haven't been able to get in the hurdle, but they've been do- doing well enough in La Liga. So the question that I want to end this with, and, and Pancho asked, will we finish this season? And you know we can't know about Champions League. We can't know about Copa del Rey. We would hope that we, they continue to progress in those individual knockout matches and, and do the things that need to be done. But La Liga is the bigger point here, that... If you start behind, and we've seen it from Atletico Madrid and, uh, a few seasons ago before they really you know, started being uh, a contender every season for the title, and then we saw Real Madrid last year. If you fall too many points off the leaders and you wind up falling behind in the race, it's a lot more difficult to get caught up and get back into the top three than it is to be part of that top three race all season long and contending for the title all season long. So Barcelona have been able to run away with La Liga uh, uh, quite often this decade because of a great start in the league. So this is one of the first times where Kules have felt any adversity uh, in La Liga in the last few seasons. So I, I, I do implore you to wonder where they will finish this season by getting off to such a rough start that even if they're playing well and their form is great for the end of the season, is that still going to be enough when they decide to flip the switch on to be able to recapture uh, the points that they have lost in the beginning of this season to win the Liga again? Right. I'm going to challenge that then. Um, I'm going to come from a different angle. So in the last three, four seasons, we dominated La Liga and then we failed in the Champions League. If you look at Liverpool last year, they were challenging City all the way to the end for the Champions, for the um, Premiership. And while doing that, they got to the Champions League final. Um, they were in top form and they were firing all cylinders. And then they were virtually a point away, I think it was, from winning the Premiership. And they won the Champions League. Maybe that's what Barca needs. Maybe Barca needs two competitions to, to um, be fighting at that end of the season. And this is just a new approach. So I think yeah. we just need to be optimistic and, and see what happens. I mean... If you are going to run away with La Liga and the Liga is pretty much sorted because Real Madrid have been rubbish and are 15 points behind by March, is that really a positive or is it not? I'm, I'm, happy, to, I'm happy to have a different situation this year because the same situation with the same manager and virtually the same group of players hasn't worked out the last two years and if you push it, the last three or four years. So let's go for it. Yeah, that's a good point. That uh, I don't want to backtrack the 40 minutes of work that we've put in uh, and, you know, I, I, I think for me, when it comes to Valverde, as long as he's a manager, we still have to continue to put the support behind him that he can figure out exactly what to do with what I believe, as you had mentioned with the starting 11 that you chose, I think that that starting 11 can defeat any other team in the world. When push comes to shove, uh, with the right support, with uh, the, the right motivation, that team is better than everybody else. I still have that belief that Barcelona, for for as much as it feels like they've lost their identity and they're not themselves and everything is in ruin, they're still the top team in the world, in my belief. Uh, there might be teams better on form like Dortmund at the moment, and Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid might be doing better uh, at the moment, but they didn't do too great in Champions League either. Liverpool, we've seen that they've been hot or cold. Man City... Two weeks ago, lost in the in the Premier League to Norwich City. So everybody's going through their rough 
uh, the rough spots. And when it comes time, as you mentioned, many months from now, well, not too many, but enough months from now when it comes down to all these kind of trophies being up for grabs, that with the team and squad that, as I said, that Barcelona have, which is one of, to me, their best and deepest in many seasons, that that things can work out. So if Valverde is being kept and it doesn't look like he's going to be gone this season, if he starts to get a few good results here, it's tough to put... I think not even for us, but I think it's tougher for Kool-Aids who put their hearts on their sleeves to put their support behind somebody that they don't believe in to win trophies and to guide their team. But if he is the guy in charge, well, then they have to have the belief that he's trying to win. You know, I'm so opposed, and this is how we're ending it, that I'm so opposed to this idea that I want bad results to to enact proper change because I think that's going to be best for what the team is yeah, in the future. That's yeah, right? It, it doesn't that's make sense ad, to that's me. That's nonsense, that is. That's that that I understand you got feelings, but you want your team to lose, then you're not a real fan. Sorry. Yep. Yep. I think we agree there. Uh, I think that's the final point. Frances, anything from you here? No, I just wish that things get better. I just wish <laughs> that we can next time talk about uh, positives. And I, I really want to before we go to mention this. Griezmann's doing really well, isn't he? You know, like we gave him a lot of stick before joining um, because he had clowny immature sort of ways about him but uh, we did say that once he joined we would support him to the moon and back and to be honest he's been one of the best players this season I know he's not fully adapted but I think his world rate is second to none I think he's showing the others how to do things he has put his head down and he's been nothing but positive to his teammates and he's been trying to build relationships and of course things don't always work out but imagine where we would be if we didn't even have Griezmann so yeah. I, I really want to say I want to end up with a positive note. I know I always try to do this, but not everything is negative. Like the eruption of Ansu Fati is a, is a great positive at 16 years old. And, you know, the list is not endless, unfortunately, but there are, there are little sort of bits that we can celebrate. And I want to finish with that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That Griezmann, we want this whole show. I and mean, this is me too. I went the whole show really without talking about him. And the fact that everybody's calling for him to replace Luis Suarez as the target forward in the starting lineup, uh, it, we, we see that as an insult to Suarez as opposed to a compliment to Griezmann, that to get the best out of him, we believe or continue to, to have him find his way at Barca, that he would do a much better job in that position of responsibility as a target forward. Again, it's not a knock on Suarez, maybe as it should just be a compliment to to Antoine Griezmann. So you're absolutely right. And then when it comes to Fadi, and as I've said before, I didn't get a chance to say this, but to me, what's happening with Marc-Andre Ter Stegen and the news about Bayern Munich saying, well, if, if Neuer is replaced as a number one, then Bayern Munich players will will no longer be uh, made available to the German national team. That's a whole lot of hogwash because I, I think uh, uh, goalkeeping is a, is a biased position. The top two were goalkeepers this year, and that's because Liverpool with Allison won the Champions League and Ederson plays for Man City, who, who won the Premier League. Uh, but Mark Anderson Stegen for me, Last year, I used to say he's top three. I used to say Jan Oblak, or I would, you know, you'd mention Allison, and you'd say, "Well, he's in this conversation." But I think this year, Frances, I'm just gonna say, I think Mark Andre Stegen is the number one keeper in the world. Uh, I think he's just, uh, for as much as he, yes, he, he made a little tiny mistake against 
Villarreal probably should have had that that, that laser from Santi Cazola. But if those are the margins for which we're judging Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, uh, I think he is the number one keeper in the world. So I'm just going to go with that this season. I'm going to show my bias. I host the Barcelona podcast, so I think I'm, it's, it's in my rights to say <laughs> that Marc-Andre Ter Stegen is the top keeper in the world, finally. I think he's finally gotten to the top of the mountain, and that is a huge positive for me. So I think I think you're right, Frances. We ended with all those positives. Goods to... to, to as they say, roses and thorns. Roses to Antoine Griezmann yep. and Ansu Fati and the return of Usmane Dembele. Dan, yes. I want to interrupt you again. Sorry. Oh, please do. Uh, it just popped <laughs> into my head because my, my brain, as, as the listeners know, works in different ways. Um, we've also gone the whole show without mentioning that um, Messi was given the best award. Um, I think it was yesterday or the day before. Um, just to say that I couldn't care less. <laughs> that's not important <laughs> in my radar at all. Maybe and that's why we didn't bring it up. Maybe yeah, that's I don't why we didn't bring it up. I really honestly don't care whether Messi gets uh, the best award or the worst award or the golden apple or the you know pink strawberry. I couldn't care less. Football is a team sport. And when he loses, we say well, we don't care. So when he wins it, congratulations to him. But honestly, I couldn't, I couldn't give a monkey's. Yeah, I think Messi's star. I think it matters more for players that it's telling to me that uh, that Messi always puts Andres Iniesta, or well, not still now, obviously not playing in Japan, but that uh, Messi would always choose his teammate Iniesta to be there for so long. Uh, it's almost a place for guys who are underrated in their careers to finally get their due when they've had big seasons. Uh, and when it comes to the likes of Messi and Ronaldo and the giants of this generation, we're going to remember them regardless of what silverware they had. Um, but to me, I think the more telling ones are the fact that Frankie de Young was voted in the best 11, right? That tells you that at 22 years old, he's being recognized for the performance he had last year for the Netherlands and for Ajax, and people are taking notice of that. I think you put more stock in those kind of decisions and, and that kind of recognition than you do when three Real Madrid players are put in the best 11 again after they finished third in La Liga. And um, yes, and I think we all know that Messi is the best. And as we argue, he could probably win every award every season based on what it is, but it's not. It's based on that one match that happens in May called the Champions League final, and that's how we judge everything now. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think, yeah, it kind of absorbs everything. So, man, Francis, we did such a good job. We thought we were going to end on positives, and now that's where we end there. But anyway, I thank you for joining me, Francis, and thanks to you listeners for tuning in. You can tap in your app, check out the show notes to subscribe to the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod at HiltonD13 for me, on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. Closed Facebook group, we got some questions here. I appreciate the few questions we got. Uh, there were more, obviously, we missed, but as I said in the group, I can only do two or three today. That is at tbpod.link backslash group, deeper dives and discussions as well. That's really what you get there. Uh, for more talk on Villarreal and, and Granada and every match in between, I do the quick take match reviews on tbpod.link backslash Patreon. Uh, for very little change, you get to support the pod in special ways like that. We're also on YouTube now at the Barcelona Pod, where we've been for a while. Check us out there. Hit that subscription button. And that means that if you hit that subscription button, you can see exactly when I put out in the next few days that video about, uh, I gave you a little bit of a teaser here with Louis Van Hall, but I talk about everybody going back for uh, when Cruyff was in charge about what led to their demise and what led to all these managers leaving Barcelona and almost, you know, comparing that to Valverde and the state that he is in at the moment. So again, hit the subscription button on YouTube, become a subscriber, and you will get that on YouTube. Uh, each and every week I have a show. Plus, you can also get the podcast there. And if that's where you're seeing it, then I appreciate you checking us out on YouTube. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Pod. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barca. Forza.
sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.